Hello, and welcome to the Flix Forum podcast, where each episode we go back and look at a Netflix original film in the order of release. Today, we're jumping a little bit out of order to give you a special bonus episode. Today, we have Netflix's 195th film. It's the 2019 epic crime film, The Irishman. It's directed by Martin Scorsese, and it stars Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, and Joe Pesci. I'm Jesse, and I'm here with my co-host, MJ. But we also wanted to make this a little bit more epic, so we've got some regulars back and another special guest. So we've got Hita with us and Simo. Welcome. Hey, mate. It's good to be back. <laughs> Same here. It feels like only a few days ago, but... I remember it's been a while. I was complaining when Hita first wandered off the podcast that there was so much room on this side of the table. <laughs> and now, <laughs> now I I'm, 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 it's, I'm so cramped. You up. I also don't know where to look. I think I'm just going to stare at stare at our microphone this whole time. But so this is very exciting. Whose eyes are we supposed to look at? I know. Because like, we, 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 we like... have good eye contact. <laughs> yeah, it's important. <laughs> So yeah, we're we're excited about this one, and um, it is a big film. So it's possibly going to be a big podcast. Mm. We start our show off with our fast flicks, where we do our own short little summary of what the film's about. Heater, it's your turn to start us off. Straight back into it. Yes. All right. So the Irishman, the story of Frank the Irishman Sheeran, a war veteran and truck driver turned mob hitman, and his relationship with union leader Jimmy Hoffa. Good. Got all the characters in there. Like it. MJ. Uh, a film of epic proportions, covering Frank Sheeran's story of his connections with the mob and work as a hitman, spanning 40 plus years. Nice. Simo? Awesome. Well, you know, I pride myself on my fast flicks. <laughs> this is a big one, but we'll see how we go. Um, the Irishman is a gangster movie in the way that is more about a life of a gangster. We meet Frank Sheeran and spanning across his entire adult life, starting 1950s Philly, we see how he balances power, family and loyalty Mostly by shooting people in the face. There we go. We like, like, it. We like oh, a bit of humor. I like it. <laughs> shooting people in the face. Ah, uh, and I'm last. So I've said it's a gangster epic that needs to be seen rather than hear my summary. Ooh. Oh, wow. Ooh. So we did this do bonus like episode. We're trying to have a bit of fun with it. Really just the, the short way out there, the Jesse. Cryptic, real cryptic. <laughs> I enjoy that one. I, I don't. That Usually I'm I'm straight to the point. I'm very excited one, to like, hear what well, you're going to say. straight now. to the point. Because in a sense, this film is almost bigger than the film itself. Yeah. Like, the, the idea of the Irishman is just as big as the Irishman. So I like the way you've captured that. Ah, thank you, MJ. Uh, so this has so much going for it at the moment and there's so much to to sort of know a little bit about the background MJ anyone would like to kick us off with what we know about the Irishman well you're right um, it's it's actually a pleasure to be able to scour for some information about a film and basically pick and choose what information you want to use because <laughs> some of the films that we've done on this podcast have had very little and we've had to work pretty hard to get it but uh, Doing a film as big as this and also doing a film that's actually out right now. That's one of the things that we haven't done as well. A film that's out right now um, gives us plenty to plenty to look at. So The Irishman is based on a book um, written by Charles Brandt called I Heard You Paint Houses. Um, the, the book itself is based loosely, somewhat loosely, on the real life of Frank. Um, what's your thoughts on, on what you know about how how real or true this story actually is. I guess there's a lot of um, disagreement about the actual uh, truth behind this story and and what actually Mm -hmm. happened. So it's, as MJ said, it's based on the book and and there's a lot of people that have criticized the book for not necessarily telling the truth because uh, especially with, and we're going to spoil this film. Oh (laughs) yeah, good call. We should probably probably put it out there now. Spoiler alert. If you haven't seen The Irishman and you are 
keen on watching it, go and watch it before listening to this because... It's not very long, so you'll be able to punch it out pretty quickly. <laughs> I did it in a night. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so there, there's a lot of um, disagreement about a few of the, the kills that happen in this, in this uh, film, especially by Frank. And this is based on Frank's almost uh, real-life deathbed confessions to the author of this book. So uh, since the book was released, there's obviously there's been a few um, people who have said, look, he couldn't have um, taken out these hits or these kills. We've got evidence to say otherwise um so there is a little bit of a disagreement between that but you know the and obviously the cast in this is is a a huge cast and and when you hear them talk about this film a lot of them say look let's forget about that anyway because this is the story that we're telling and it's about this story not about actually what happened i think that's important to know as well at the end of the day when i was watching this film i actually didn't know it was based on a true story it was based on a book didn't know that was a true story so it, it functions fine as a narrative here so the idea is that Robert De Niro read the book um, back in 2004, mind you, mm-hmm. um, and was basically just like, yeah, we kind of need to make this film. Um, and then Martin Scorsese slowly became interested in directing that adaptation, um, and he obviously wanted to do it with the cast that he ended up getting. So It's about 2007. So 2007 it's a, it's a is when, <laughs> when the film started the development phase. So 2007, we're talking 2019, this film released, so... In October 2015, uh, De Niro stated that the film was happening um, and they could start filming in 2016 and they got Stephen Zalane, or sorry, Zalian as the screenwriter. Um, and then cross forward to May 2016. This is where it all gets kind of a bit tricky. So Mexican production company Fabrica de, de Design uh, offered $100 million to finance the film. Um, and they had a deal with Paramount, Pic- Paramount Pictures that they would get the domestic rights in America. Um, IM Global was also trying to get the film's international sales rights. Um, so then STX Entertainment bought the international rights to distribute the film for $50 million, beating out a whole bunch of other big-name studios like Universal, Fox, Lionsgate, etc. Um, and then the deal was closed with uh, Fabrica Decline, closing the deal with Paramount, actually retaining those domestic rights. So this is in 2016. Before you go any further, so uh, in 2015, just before this sort of whole whole deal sort of started, Scorsese and De Niro did like a, a little test reel of this film, um, just because obviously they wanted to see if this de-aging technology could work. So they recreated a scene from um, Goodfellas together just yeah. to see if this they could use the technology to do well, this. Well, that was so. a big part about actually wanting to do yeah. this film is that they could get that technology right. And they needed to because it plays such a big part in this film. Yeah. Mm. Um, so by February 2017, Paramount had dropped the domestic distribution rights for the Irishman um, off the back of the announcement that Fabrica would not be financing the film due to the fact that the budget kept going up for, the, for making the Irishman. So then Netflix came in they bought the film rights for $105 million and they agreed to finance the film's $125 million budget at the time um, and they projected to have a release date of October 2019. So in March the following year, so 2018, it was reported that the film's budget had actually ballooned to $140 million, <laughs> due in large part to the visual effects that they needed to mm. make the, the de-aging and the, yep. um, make them appear younger throughout various points of the film. And then by August that year, there was speculation that the budget had gone as high as $175 million <laughs> by the time that post-production was said to have been wrapped. Um, in August this year, 2019, it was reported that the official cost was $159 million. It's a lot so, of money. Wow. It's a ton of money. In fact, 
In fact, here, oh, here we go. <laughs> Comparison? Comparisons. What film so, cost? So just yeah, just for some context of how much 159 million dollars is for a film. Are there some Michael Bay movies on this list? <laughs> no, no, no. no. Sure. But this is the 155th highest production budget in history. It's the most expensive Scorsese film ever. Nothing else is 159 million dollars, believe it or not. It's quite yeah. a specific number. But there's plenty. There's plenty that are 160. And and you're talking about the level of. Beauty and the Beast live action, Spider-Man Far From Home this year, Aquaman, Inception, the final Hunger Games movie, Fast and Furious 6, X-Men First Class, big superhero movies. Mm. These, This is the kind of budget that we're talking about for this film. When you say it like that, it doesn't... Sit, like To me, it's like when you say 159 million, you're like, wow, this is so much money. But when you say those films, I'm like, oh, okay, it's it doesn't seem that bad. Yeah, but we know that those films cost a truckload to make and they make a lot of money back off True. merchandise and other licensing so. and being in theatres <laughs> and obviously being <laughs> yeah. in theatres in all theatres getting actual box office <laughs> so. Um, so there's just a brief a brief summary of how we got to this point with this film and, and more specifically how Netflix got involved in this film as well it's obviously a huge venture for Netflix to jump on a film like this with a budget like this knowing that it's not going to be probably as everyone would want to watch it in the cinema. Yep. Hmm. But it's them putting their hat in the ring saying, we want the biggest films possible and we think that audiences are skewing that they want to watch big box office films at home on their own sort of opening night. And um, Just probably going to be a sign... Of how they want to watch it. It's probably going to be a mm. sign of things to come. So what did you think about the... So it's based on the book called I Heard You Paint Houses and De Niro wanted to keep that title for the film. So the opening of this film... You don't get the Irishman at the start. Notice that you mm. get um, you get the title like in you know cut blocks. I heard you paint houses. What did you think of that? I actually, when I watched it, thought it was going to be like a chapter type thing. Yep. Um, and I thought the film was going to be broken down in almost like Tarantino esque type. Yeah, I thought the same type mm. uh, phases. Um, so I didn't think of it as much at the time, and then by the time I actually thought about it, I realized that was the name of the book. book so it was yeah. almost like a nice homage. Yeah, it was good. So this this was shot. In 117 different locations. Insane. And, <laughs> Jesus. and has a total of 319 scenes. Yep. That is ridiculous. That is... And we haven't... We've said it's a long film, but it's nearly three and a half hours. It took 106 days to film as 106 well. 106 days. It's the longest shooting schedule in Scorsese's career. It's, yeah. Out of control. Out of control. But obviously, you want that to create this sort of massive story that he that he tells. I thought you wouldn't get it done. So here's, mm. here's the deal, right? Who's going to A, finance this film and B, let it be three and a half hours if not someone like Netflix? And we know from being on this podcast that directors have such a long leash with what they want to do. And the reason Mm. that they enjoy working with Netflix is because Netflix go, you've got a vision, you've got an idea, off you go, you go do it. There's no way that this is three and a half hours if it's going to be a theatrical release for Paramount. It's just not going to happen. No. So Scorsese gets a chance to make the film that he wants to make. And we're talking about one of the greatest auteurs of our generation. So we're pretty lucky in that sense that he got to do it. Can't agree more. A couple of other little things. So, <laughs> yeah. so Joe Pesci. <laughs> so Joe Pesci is, 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 is amazing. And we love Joe Pesci. He, was, uh, he, he wanted to be like, they wanted him in this film. Yeah. They wanted him in this really badly. And, you know, they wanted him out of retirement. And some sources say that he was asked about 50 times to do this film before he finally said yes. Scorsese apparently said it was over 50, over 50. in the end. That's he had to persistent. ask him. Yeah. But you couldn't do it without him, though. 
Nah. Now that he's, he's seeing him in there, because he was amazing in this, and Pesci is like, you know, he's just a gangster. Yeah. Like, from all those, those movies, you couldn't do it without him. I thought, too, like, and if you've seen some of these behind the scene things with Scorsese and stuff, mm-hmm. they, they show there's some shots with how they actually filmed it with the cameras. And it, it's quite incredible that to do these de aging effects, like, the they literally had, like, that sort of pen that they did the, the markers on the face instead of using these sort of, like, you know, things that you used to the golf ball sort, yeah, of, yeah. sort of things. And, uh, they had like three cameras to sort of get all the angles. It was just just incredible that you know we have technology that can do that. So the anti aging stuff was something that they knew they could do prior to this part of the technology being available. Um, but you, as you said, you had to have these like golf ball things yeah. on your on your face. And we're talking about a director who is so into his actors completely stealing the show and and Scorsese was just like we can't do it like that because I need my actors to be feeding off each Mm. other I need their facial expressions to be almost more important than what they're saying so when this when this technology became available that was a game changer for actually being able to make this movie what it was yeah uh, it's still in cinemas it is, It is yeah. still in select cinemas, but at, at this stage, as of our recording, it's made about 6.6 6 million worldwide at the box office. So we should say we are recording this on the 4th of December. Um, yeah. And... A bit of context behind it. So it's really, it's been it's been out on Netflix for a, a week, week, just yeah. over a week. Um, no, a week, exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah a week, exactly. Um, geez, we didn't mess around, did we? No, nah, we got into it straight away. So is that about a month or a month out here in cinemas? In cinemas, yeah. yeah. So start of yeah. November, I yeah. think. Yeah, start of November, I'm pretty sure it came out. Because yeah. I know they said it was like eight select screenings in America when it first came out, and there was just tales of people driving, you know, yeah. cross state lines, like mm. to, to make sure they could see this movie in, but in that's cinemas. That's because the yeah. biggest chains don't want to touch it. Yeah, they they don't agree with the yeah. Netflix strategy because the the legislation in place, which I think is more of a gentleman's agreement than an actual legislation, apart from it, France. <laughs> oh yeah, apart from France, <laughs> is that there's a sixty day gap between being in cinemas and being on a streaming service, mm. and. I guess Netflix is a competitor for a, for a theatre um, and they kind of don't see the value in... Yeah. It was, it was 30 it. days to the day that it premiered in New York or wherever, I think it was New York, where and then from there to Netflix, it was 30 days exactly. So they must have made mm. some deal with the... That, yeah. yeah. That it was, we'll, we'll give you 30 days in cinemas before yeah. we put it out. But if you're, a, if you're an independent cinema in, in whatever country, you'd be crazy not to have it, like, right? Yeah, like, yeah absolutely. It's going to get you value. So last week in New York, they set up uh, Little Italy in Manhattan oh, yeah. for a couple of days, and they backdated it to like 1975, the day that he, he that awesome. disappeared, and yeah. they had like newspaper art. They looked really cool. From that'd be I'd awesome. Seen. Did any of you guys know the story of Jimmy Hoffa? Nah, no. Nah. Do you know the name? Not at all. No, no I've never no, heard of it before. I, I didn't. No, know. no. I never heard of it. Some of the history around the time in America with the the JFK, the politics stuff, and yeah. the Cuba mm-hmm. and everything like that kind of resonated, but. When they said, you know, what Hoffa was as popular as Elvis, yeah, you know, saying like second most powerful man to yeah. the president. Yeah. Oh, I I'd never heard his name before. Did you know before. it was based on a true story, or did you think they were creating this fictional? I did know it was based on a true story. Okay. Yeah, I did know that. I kind of going through. I'm like, well, it's it's based in a time where it's you know true, but yeah, I, yeah. is his person yeah. real? And I had to look up, and I got a question as we go because I at the end I felt a bit like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood well, kind yeah, of feelings with like the yeah. the story, but you know. If not adding characters, like adding a little bit of the plot, and sure, yeah, and it was, yeah. So we mentioned mentioned this before. So it debuted um, at the New York Film Festival, and it's played sixteen other festivals since then. Jeez, that was quick. Which is a lot of festivals. Plus, it's had a limited release in twenty seven countries. 
before hitting um, November 27th Netflix. So it debuted in September. So it was two months, not a month, like I said before. So two months in cinemas before, bang, we're popping on Netflix. It's it's a, it's a different way of doing things. It's like, taking the world by storm. That's yeah. that's the crazy thing. Um, the only thing I want to add, though, did you guys know that Pierce Brosnan and Liam Neeson were both considered for the role of Frank? Oh, I read that the other really? day. Obviously, the Irish, sorry, mm, yeah. the Irish factor. Um, I'm glad they didn't. So, <laughs> what they had the the name, and they didn't want to change because the Irishman is there like a story? Is it like Irish Catholic that area? Like obviously, yeah, it's I little think, Italy. I think Frank was kind of known as the Irishman. Yeah, or he was yeah. known as Irish, or so they because they might try and get an actual Irish actor to play the well, this Irishman. Was, this was when they didn't think they were going to get Pesci. Yeah, in which case De Niro would have played Russell. Yeah, so that's kind of they needed a fallback for, mm. for yeah. Frank and. Yeah, it would have been interesting. I can see, I can maybe see Liam Neeson. I couldn't see Pierce Brosnan playing that role. I see. I'm I'm almost the opposite. Yeah. I, can, I can see if you put Liam Neeson in this, I feel like I'm watching Taken or Non-Stop. <laughs> yeah. like all those films that are Narnia. exactly the same. <laughs> not, not Narnia. What? He's <laughs> the lion in Narnia. Come on. <laughs> yeah, he's. Yeah, um, I, I was definitely thinking more along the Taken and. It'd be nice to get a, a, a 007 Brosnan. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Pierce Brosnan's a different man now. Yeah. Like, yeah. 007 is a long time ago. And, and I, yeah, I, don't know, I could sort of see yeah. it. So it's early days yet. And obviously Oscar season is sort of starting to kick off with little um, little sort of uh, award sure. seasons happening already. But so far, this has already had seven wins and 22 nominations in the festival circuit. That's gone Not so bad. Far, the the award wins. circuit. What Crazy. It's going to grow. I, no, I didn't even write any down because I'm like, no, nah, <laughs> we're just going to wait. We're going to wait. And you know, what if you're listening to this podcast in two or three months' time, it might have some more important wins it may. than what it's got right now. Should we have a look at the consensus so far about yeah. what critics and, and the general population are saying? You want to know what gets me about this? Obviously, the consensus is incredible. Um, it's got an 8.3 out of 10 on IMDb, but it's had 80,000 ratings already. This Eight, has been wow. out on Netflix for a week. Yeah. When did you write that down? Uh, oh no that's it's a good change question. hasn't that's it because yeah probably we, a couple of days yeah okay so i went on i was like i need to do this just before that's a very good point because people already up to nearly eighty-seven thousand as of this afternoon wow so it's a seven thousand in a couple of days extra people have gone it's on crazy TV. and and we we did a film you know we did films for over the podmas period where we were lucky to get sometimes a thousand ratings and these are films that have been out for two years granted this is this is different scale right that's why we're doing a bonus podcast on it but anyway 8.3 out of 10 it's a 4.2 out of 5 on Letterboxd. I've got 55,000 ratings, but I'm sure that's gone up, Jesse. It's nearly 59. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it's it's a beast. It's a mm. beast and everyone everyone loves it. Is Rotten, Rotten Tomatoes? Rotten Tomatoes. Our, our old friend. Our, our old friend. <laughs> our least favorite friend. 96% on 341 oh reviews. So that's pretty high in amount of reviews and percentage. The audience is at 86 on just under 1,000. So... The audience isn't getting on Rotten Tomatoes to log this. That's because Rotten Tomatoes is <laughs> not Jesse. a credible source. If you, if no you're one cares a, if you're about a it. Big listener of Flicks Forum, you'll realise that Rotten Tomatoes offers very little if you're trying to figure out what's what's good and what's not Rotten in a film because a lot of people don't use it. Last one I've got here. My uh, Google users. Oh, no, this has to be a hundred. Eighty-nine percent. What? Yeah. Google uses, uses the most positive. Thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I know. I'm like eighty-nine percent. That's really low. <laughs> really low. Okay. The one thing I got about the the kind of consensus stuff, and I guess with now that this film's out on Netflix, obviously your your standard movie buff for the people that are reviewing it on your IMDb and your letterbox and stuff like that, with the Netflix kind of attraction and what just the sheer numbers that this this uh, movie's doing. 
is it, I know the consensus is really positive, but you look on Twitter and there's there's obviously a bit of a, a push kind of the other way. And I'm not saying like yeah, yeah. whether I like or dislike, no, but no, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, that's coming out, but just because it's Scorsese and De Niro and Pacino, there's almost like a, a pull that you need to kind of like this movie. Yeah, it's um, cool to like it or you've got mm, those big old, big old glasses yeah. sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, and then there's just like, you know, stuff now like on, on the internet. It's not on IMDb or Twitter, just people kind of discussing the movie and kind of a bit of like this this feel that, you know, if you don't get it, you don't appreciate it. That like, yeah. it's, it's just this masterpiece kind of feel. Yeah, if you, and, say, if yeah. you say you don't like it, it's because you're an idiot. Yeah, or you yeah. don't get yeah, it's a good yeah. You don't understand movies if which, you, if which you don't like it. Which is a shame this. because you're right. Yeah. That, that happens a lot in yeah. movies, right? Where everyone's like, look, every Oscar film, for example, it's like that one best picture. It's like, oh, I wonder why that one best... Oh, you didn't get it. So yeah. Like, yeah. But, but it's an excellent film. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, know, I know what you're saying. And it feels like you see that and you, you get that a lot about the best picture kind of noms and stuff. And they're movies that are like a lot of maybe not a lot of people have seen. Yeah. And I feel like the conversation around this one's slightly different because just the the access to the movie and mm. how many people are going to be able to watch it and kind of weigh in on the conversation. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just it's tricky because it's almost the opposite story of Roma last year. Like Roma, Netflix put so much behind mm. to get it that Best Picture nomination, and a lot of people enjoyed it yeah. and then you've got the same sort of the same sort of story but that sort of outweighed the the positivity of it well yeah. Roma was almost this underground film that did well because it had good talk about yeah. it whereas this was, all, this was never going to be underground right yeah. this is like yeah. their big, their, this is their Marvel kind of thing um, yeah. we want as many people as we can to watch, to watch this it. movie I think we're Probably good to look at our early thoughts on this film and start getting into the the crux of the actual film. I'm excited. And that's what you say, Simo. Like, there's lots of chatter online and that's what we want to do as yeah. well. We, we just want to talk about what we thought about this film and, and what we liked and what we didn't like. Mm. All right, Hita, I want you to start. With your, <laughs> I just want to... You're back. So I want you to tell us what are your early thoughts on this film? What do you think I thought of it, Jesse? <laughs> <laughs> I think I could probably work it out. But go, I want to hear. So, from so, yeah, I, um, so this came out on the Wednesday over here. Yep. So I watched it on the Friday night. Um, Which is what we do on Wednesday and Thursday. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't go to bed that late. Like it's yeah. it's too long to go to bed that late. So I watched You're it on a new the, man. Hater. I watched it on the Friday night, and yeah, look, I loved it. It was amazing. I mean, I've I think we said on the first podcast, Scorsese is one of my favourite um, directors. I love De Niro, Pacino, and Pesci. I love mobster gangster movies. This just took you back to like the Goodfellas days. Um, you know, I, I thought it was amazing. Loved it, MJ. Like, I, I'm probably different to Hita in that I'm not really a gangster movie kind of guy. I don't mind them, but I don't love them. Um, but this was impressive. It's not the greatest film I've ever seen. It's not even the best film I've seen this year. But I appreciated its proportions, just the size, the scale, the tech, the story behind it. The fact that it's the first appointment viewing that I've had with streaming Um the first movie that it's had an opening night feel to it and I wanted to be a part of it. And that's always what I've loved about going to movies and seeing a big movie on opening night because, you know, it's more than just a film sometimes. Um, the three and a half hours didn't really phase me apart from finding the time to watch mm. it. Um, I really don't think that Scorsese wasted a scene in this um, and the length worked for the story that he was telling. But it, it still ha- it still requires a commitment from the audience, which which shouldn't be sneezed at, right? Like, you, you need to want people to watch your movie, and if that's going to be a barrier, um, the performances we'll we'll get into later on. But they were truly fantastic. So good, some lengthy early thoughts. <laughs> Best time to talk about it. Simo, your turn. Um, a little bit similar on some of the things. I think I'm glad that I watched it in one part, 
And that's not to say that it isn't too long. And I think we can maybe talk about that later. Mm. But I think where the movie shine, like shown for me was in the story, like telling of this man, Frank, and kind of this very um, drawn out beginning and end as a mobster and as a father and the, the tough decisions he had to make um, all coming together in the end. And just like how he reflected on this and whether he needed to apologize or even feel regret for some of his actions. And it was almost important to get all of what happened to feel that at the end. Mm. Yeah, it's And I think in saying this, you, you could maybe be conflicted about how they did it and in some ways whether everything was needed or if we might have been anticlimactic at certain points. But at the end, I kind of felt like just the weight of the movie and the length and the progression was where the payoff was for me. And, yeah, um, that's how it works. It was, it, like, it was, a, a, I don't know if slog's the right word, it was just a mm. mammoth thing to kind of go into, yeah. but you kind of, it's hard not to enjoy it as it goes on and, and kind of be invested in a lot of the stuff. The funny thing is, how often are you watching, let's use Netflix as an example, I know you hate to watch a lot of TV, mm. how often do you sit there one night after work and, and start watching a series that's our episodes and you punch out three or four that yeah. night anyway? So <laughs> the it, habit, just, it just happens. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, jeez, I need to go to it's bed. Easy cause you, it's you, midnight and I've watched four four hours of TV straight. It's yeah. different when you know that like you like don't you know the commit. movie is you don't this, have yeah. to commit like yeah. you're just watching it as it goes but in it like sitting yeah. down and watching tv for three or four hours not uncommon oh no yeah. it's, and it's, it's very easy to do we're and a big it, society yeah yeah it kind of went viral like one of these pictures and i shared to, mm-hmm. to you guys about yeah. how you could break it up into kind of four yeah episodes i did see that yeah. and i think potentially it a lot of people have, yeah. would will do it's that hard to, it's hard to find the time for yeah. three and a half hours straight and i'm not sure watching all in one go sorry no i didn't i watched i watched it friday night and saturday night like almost one hour and 45 each, basically. Yeah, okay. And it'd be interesting to see if, you know, people enjoyed it that way more or if you, you've, there's a consensus that, you know, you you get the weight of it by watching it all. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, I generally don't like watching movies, breaking them up. I don't like yeah. it. But in this sense, in this case, I just kind of had to. And I wasn't planning on it. I was just getting yeah. tired and nothing to do with the film. I'm yeah. like, no, I see, I actually, I actually was planning on watching this over two nights. Like, I kind of went in going... Um, on the Friday night, I'm, like, I'm going to watch the first two hours, and then I'll and then you know go to bed, and I'll wake up and watch the other hour and a half tomorrow morning. Yeah. I was planning on breaking it up, and then I just got into it and went, oh no, you know, I'm just going to push through for the whole three and a half hours. But yeah, I, I, I originally went in thinking I'm, I'm breaking yeah. this up over two nights because three and a half hours is just a long time. To it doesn't take away it. from it though. From, from oh, like, absolutely like, not. It no. actually didn't no. take no. away from it. Yeah, I agree. With you you get I, back into it straight with a lot of Netflix films, you have to break up because they're so bad. But this, <laughs> <laughs> but this one, you, you do it by choice. <laughs> There's a lot of good Netflix... Hey, if you're a first-time listener, there's a lot of good Netflix films out there that you wouldn't have discovered. Yeah. yeah. All right, my turn. So... <laughs> this one, this movie didn't feel as long as The no, Outside. No. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay. So, my thoughts. Come on, Jesse. This, I thought, was an epic masterpiece. Oh, I thought, yeah, I thought the performances, the story, the way the story's built, I loved it. That's all I'm saying so far. Okay, so that's why you haven't got one go. So you didn't <laughs> like us having this big conversation about our early <laughs> thoughts because you wanted to get your one line. They're not early thoughts. They're like, <laughs> they're like thoughts. Yeah, watch one go. Huh? One go for you? No, I, I, I did 20. You split, movie, you split movies up a, a bit. I do. I, I did 20 minutes on the Friday night and I was so exhausted that I was like, I want to give this the proper time and then I watched the rest in one go. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So you didn't rewatch the first 20? Okay. So you didn't watch it on double time like you do nah, something? No, nah, no, nah, nah, not for this podcast. Jesse never watches on double <laughs> never time. Does. Nah, never does. Nah, yeah. Whew. Yeah. All right. So we like to talk about characters because this one is definitely a, a character piece. Mm. And I think 
there are so many characters in this film, but I think we're probably going to focus on a, the main sort of important ones in this story. Yep. So, MJ, I want you to kick us off with this one. Well, there's there's only one that you can start on, right? Um, I I really enjoyed. Sorry, we're going to talk Frank. About? Oh, Frank. Okay. <laughs> I really enjoyed the introduction to Frank because um, they they do introduce him as a really likable character, from the truck breaking down um, to the to the courtroom with him with uh, Ray Romano's character to him recounting the war he's straight away he's just his own man he likes people but he doesn't go out of his way to make people like him initially if you don't like him cool I don't care it's fine um, but his loyalty was so cheap he was by the end of the film just basically just a yes man um, and it left him isolated and it left him alone and it kind of bothered me with my investment in the story that he had the chance to do something about Jimmy but didn't because, mm-hmm. you know, real friendships mean mean more than anything. Um, but I do like the idea that the majority of the people in this film had no idea when they were going to die or when their end was coming and Frank was left basically waiting for it and planning for it by the end because of some of the, the pretty ordinary decisions that he made throughout his life. Yeah, I I feel they set him up as a bad man from the start and he didn't change from that. And I, I liked that because they did, like you mentioned, they did an excellent job of making you sympathize with him. Yeah. And um, you didn't want to dislike him, even though that that's what you should be doing with this yeah, guy. Yeah, he was, you, he you was should, likable. You should dislike him. You couldn't dislike him. I, I, I get that. I, I loved him. I understand the film that you, you're not like, mm. you can't dislike him, but you like in, guy, in society, you know if he's living next door, you, you're not going to like that guy for the things that he does. And but you, if you're living next door to him, you probably don't know the things that he does. Yeah, true. So early on, like you know, they do it really early with his job in the meat, the the meat industry with mm-hmm. with the truck. And you know, he's a working class man. They like to bring that up. He's got these Italian connections with Russ, but they do try to show you. They do this early too. They show you that he's afraid of dying, and they do that through these these flashbacks of the war and things like that. And he says, he says, if anyone tells you that they're they're not afraid of dying, they're lying to you. So. To me, this analogy was that he was constantly at war his whole life, whether that was from those World War um, experiences he's had or whether that was at war with people in his life, whether it was his family, whether it was the people in this this gang sort of situation. Yeah. Um, and he believed in solidarity. So, I, yeah, I, he was a bad man, but they did these th- enough little things to sort of make you connect with him. That's where I was feeling with him. So why did he keep doing these bad things? He was just loyal. But he wasn't loyal to his family. He was loyal to the mob. We became his family. Yeah, they, they became it. Like Russell became his family, and they made it. It was just loyal to them, and they, they built teased. this up by saying like most American soldiers spent like eighty days or whatever out at war, and he spent like four hundred and something. Yeah. Mm. So they they built this up that he was he was almost like not brainwashed, but his mindset was I do what I'm told, I follow orders mm. because that's the right thing. That's to a do. great. That's yeah. a great point. Mm. Anyone have anything else about Frank? No, I agree. With I think said. it was almost like you could sympathise with this working class, even though he was a bit of a crook and a monster. And it, it wasn't until that first time where he kind of stuffed up with the meat. With the oh no, they had the meat, but then he was it was casing the wrong joint that was owned by oh, the yeah. other boss. Where yeah. I think was that his first time where he killed someone. Yeah, and then oh, I think then, okay. the the he talks about how he quickly had more jobs and more things to do, and mm. I think his his path into kind of the the darkness and being this go-to person in the mob, like it changed it was so dramatic from there. It was so yeah, easy, like yeah. even to the point where he took that money from Whispers, that was the point. When he yeah, yeah, Whispers. 
and they're just like, oh no, you did the wrong thing. He's like, oh, okay, sorry, oh, I'll just back with you guys. Whatever you guys want me to do, I'll do. And uh, yeah. it's just that, yeah. that lack of effort to give back the money as well. Yeah, he's kind like, of thing. Yeah. he's like, he's not going to need it. Yeah, you keep it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then that's what that he was, was really cool though, saying, yeah, yeah, he won't need it. And that's and like, was... he, he didn't get the first time. It's like he's not going to need it. Like, uh, you got it. <laughs> you got it the first <laughs> yeah. time, didn't you? Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, and that's why, and I'm, I'm creeping in on scenes here, but that, when he had that opportunity to save Hoffa, when he found out that this was going to be the end for Hoffa, mm. that's when I was most excited in this film. That's when I'm like, this is it. This is mm. a crossroad for, for Frank. And it just completely highlights the character that he is. That yeah. He's just, he'd do anything. He'd do anything just for that yeah. loyalty. And it's, yeah. it's he's the loyal hitman, just but loyal to the mob, not you know other friends and family. And he's, he's left just, yeah. with absolutely nothing. Yeah. Yeah. What I liked about the character in the end, almost, it was this point of, is it reckoning? Is he coming to terms with everything? Obviously, he's trying to reach out to his daughter a little bit. He's talking to the priest, but I'm, I'm not sure what you guys kind of take away, but I still kind of didn't feel if he he turned a corner or no, where he was, no. and he's still this du- he's, he was, he was still the same though. person. He didn't yeah. say anything to the policeman. That was his chance, right? Mm-hmm. Where he could have come clean with everything, but his his loyalty was even there beyond the grave. They set it up mm-hmm. multiple opportunities at the end for him to to change, and they didn't. And I like, like usually I, I like a film that shows progression in a character, mm-hmm. but the way they set this up, I didn't care that they kept him that same that whole way. What do you think? And I'm probably encroaching, but let's talk about it now. Him leaving the door open at the end. I've got that in my themes. Yeah. My okay. ideas. It's a great discussion point. Yeah, I've got that for later on. All right, next character. Who are we, who are we gonna? This is, this could be contentious. Who's got the, who have they, who have you got as your second character? Well, I'm gonna say purely because he appeared on screen before him. We can talk about Russell. Okay. Um, Did you have Russ next? I would have said yeah. yeah. Do you have Russ yeah. next? Just Russ well, next. we don't see Pacino for the first hour. 46 minutes. 46 minutes, so yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I just, I loved Russell's real commanding presence mm. that he just had. Always calm, always in control, never got his hands dirty. There's just something about that character where you sit there and go, how, how yeah. did you get in? He's such a, like a small stature yeah. kind of guy. He doesn't have the physical presence like to scare anyone, yeah. but I mean, he... Like, Demands the respect. Yeah. And oh, I, yeah. he... As, as, as well talking about how they have to ask Joe Pesci 50 times to get it like no one can play that role he's played that role so many times as kind of that creepy like the gangster but the one in, in, in command he plays it so well that yeah you you believe that all these people were scared of him of this yeah. small tiny guy well this was even much more subdued than, yeah. than those roles yeah exactly like, yeah. and that was what was so good about mm. it I I had I thought um, the best way to describe him was envious and to me, he represented. Or he was. He wanted everything that Frank had. He couldn't have kids. He he was older, so he couldn't be out there doing the stuff that Frank was doing himself. So to me, he was this envious sort of guy. And you know, he's always telling or like trying to win over um, Peggy. He's always mm-hmm. trying to. He's always telling Frank, you know, keep your family close because mm-hmm. this is something that he he doesn't experience. He's got a wife, yes, but he doesn't have the kids. He doesn't mm-hmm. have the family. So he's living almost what he wanted mm-hmm. through Frank and that's how I read it's him it's an interesting take yeah because when you said envious the first thing you think of when you think of Russell is not an envious guy you no, think of a guy no, who's no, no. so in control yeah. and, um, but it, it, look it's a really interesting point and I think that the, the point you make about um, Frank's kids and particularly with Peggy not resonating at all with Russell is almost the, the um, juxtaposition with with Jimmy and and the opposite and how you got these two characters who are who are polar opposites in that in that respect and I, who is who is the good guy in this film I mean arguably there's there's not many but 
um, I think there's a case to be said that if if Peggy is some sort of moral compass in this film, yeah, then you know she can see through Russell as a child, um, never gives him the time of day as an adult. But there's there's this presence about Jimmy and this this way that she can she can see this yeah. good in this guy and he's he's actually got it. He's got she a joined him straight away, heart, hasn't yeah. he? Like so, um, there's another level of that. Cool. Do we do we think though he has a good heart? Like I know she gets drawn to him because of his job. He's fighting for like union rights and stuff like that. But I think when it comes down to it, when and we'll talk about Hoffa, I guess in a sec. But they're both wanting almost similar things. Russell and Hoffa is just the way they they kind of do it and the facade and the persona. So you got Hoffa's very public. I need to be liked. Union boss and Russell is this still likable, but I'm the guy that gets you yeah. things and it's yeah, yeah. very underhanded yeah. and it's more subdued. It's very you know, low key and he, you know, picks his words very carefully. Spelling, whereas yeah. Hoffa, he multiple times he's saying, you know, I'm just like, I can go off sometimes. He runs his mouth. Yeah. And so I, like, I don't know if, if I know through the eyes of Peggy, it's quite, it's quite clear, but um, I just thought, I thought the performance by Joe Pesci was, was one of the highlights of the Insane. whole film. Yeah. It, was, yeah. it was really good. I, I just liked that whole, he was the guy that can get you things. And if he asked you to get something, you know, he's like, yeah, you're the one that gets to get it. You don't ask someone else because there's no way two roads are coming back to me. Yeah. And it was just, it was, it was really nice. Do what you're told yeah. by him. Yeah. <laughs> straight away. I guess we move on to Jimmy. Yeah. We've got to talk about Jimmy next. I had Jimmy as my second. Yeah. And then I think depending how you want to look right, at it. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a huge case for that. Not that it matters. Like we no. don't really have a discussion as to no, no, how no. we rate them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I spelled like the odd one out. I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. So Jimmy, I, I, I found... I thought the performance by Pacino was awesome. Like we've said this with all all these characters. Mate, like, he he was like a kettle getting to boiling point. Like he just got better and better and better as the film went on. He's loose. He he just says what shouldn't be said and I I found that that was the light part of the film when everything else is so heavy and and deep and dark. Mm. He was the that sort of shining light that gave you a little bit of a a smile on your face when you're watching a three and a half hour film. And I I thought that um you know that they highlighted him as a union man really well and this guy that does things for the working sort of person and that's where frank was sort of stuck in between because they show early on that he's a working class man and then obviously his his loyalty mm. is is with russ but uh you know that and and they did that in so many good ways like especially with like the kennedys like how russ was putting up signs for the kennedys and hoffer's like i hate him you know and there's some, so many good lines about his hate for the kennedys and and he was hilarious, but too emotional. And that, yeah, to me, yeah. that, that that was his downfall as a character, that he was too emotional, but they did him too proud. Too proud. And mm. there's just things throughout that there's so much fine detail with this character that you don't actually, like, if you pay close attention to, you, you, you just respect how much they put into these characters. Like, especially with him, like, they set up, like, he doesn't like drinking, he won't drink. Mm-hmm. And then, like, every scene that they're anywhere, they make that specific point of having, like, a soft drink bottle or a mineral water bottle. Do, they, yeah. And I, I just really, really liked the way that they treated this character. Yeah. You know what? It's funny when you watch a film like this that's got so much chatter about it and everyone's talking about De Niro, Pesci, Pacino, and you're watching this huge Scorsese film and you kind of want to be like... I don't want to be that person who says like, ah, this was awesome. And you know what? De Niro was awesome. And Pesci was awesome. Pacino was awesome. So you're watching it trying to be like, no, no, like everyone's just saying that because everyone else is saying it. They're all sheep. But then you watch it and you're like, God damn it. They're all awesome. They were. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to be that guy, but you know what? They're awesome. So it's, it's, 
it's just a credit to them. I don't know how you can't watch this and, and not just completely like fall in love with what they're doing. Anyone got anything else about Jimmy? Um, I think it's just more the point before. I I guess I didn't watch it through the eyes of thinking this this guy's the good guy the whole time. Yeah. Like I think the no first way. time is like you know mm-hmm. are, you, are you someone who paints houses? Yeah, or something like that. It's like, like his first lines. He, 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 want, he wants to, to wax yeah. some guy. Yeah. And yeah. Like, I do carpentry too. I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was clever. His own carpentry work. <laughs> yeah. So I think, do you know what that's a reference to? No, that's the so it's the, the painting cleanup. Yeah, painting houses is the shooting and carpentry oh, is the cleanup. Is the cleanup? Yeah, yeah. So it kills them and cleans them up. I haven't done enough. Um, oh, mate, you kills them. Yeah. <laughs> you should. <laughs> Pretty common language when you yeah. yeah. come on. We knew this. <laughs> Me and MJ knew what was going on. Yeah. All right, we, we yeah yeah. This the union boss. I think it comes from the right place, and he puts on the persona, and but whether it talks he about does, he does come from the right place, but because all he wants at the end is he is. To be back in charge of the thing that he created. Yeah. But I, I I looked at that as more of a like, it's his and he has this entitlement to like something that doesn't need to be his anymore. It's a union. It's like in this place to benefit the workers, but he's so black and white about no yeah, yeah. The donations to Nixon. We need, you know, these kind of like rulings. And, no, it's my union. I'm I'm not stepping aside. So even if control it was for the good. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I got all the stuff that he is probably the... Um, lesser evil. The lesser evil, yeah. and he's coming from a place where he wants to kind of do good, working. He's probably got better intentions. Yeah, yeah. and like the mob is almost a necessary evil, but yeah, he, he yeah. doesn't want to be a part of that scene. He wants to kind of break away. He wants to um, make sure that he's protecting the the trucks that run America, or as mm. he said. Yeah. But um, I think towards the end, you just kind of got. I could sympathise when they said that we need to get rid of him. Like and I, I, oh, I he, quite yeah, yeah. he made his own bed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Any, do you want to talk some some other characters? There's another. There's another couple, but I'm very curious to see what other people are going to come up with next. Okay, Peter. What other? Have you got any other characters? No. Simo. I'm good. I had one. Yeah. Who? I had Tony Pro. Tony Pro. Tony Pro. Gotta, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say you got to talk about Tony Pro. What have you got about Tony Pro? I have his name down because I knew you guys were. <laughs> but, I mean, I thought the the performance by Stephen Graham. Was, was, was quite good. Was good a lot of my favourite kind of scenes in, involved Tony Pro um, I just so, some of the things and I guess the role that he played as kind of the com- competitor kind of one in New Jersey to his place in the union and, and mm, where he's yeah. linked to the mobs I just thought um, a lot of the stuff for him playing golf and I don't know if you had like big thoughts but I just remember after the, the movie thinking you know this is out of the main three who have got huge names you know once you list yeah, out yeah. the chest um yeah. What Pesci, De Niro, and, and Pacino? Who else is is, is is left? And obviously, those people grab scenes quite strongly, and so they should, and so they do. But Tony Pro was was another guy I thought was quite pivotal to a lot of the stuff. I think you bang on, and and I think I think he functions really well as a villain in this case, because um, it's his like pesky little arrogance, and you can just. I feel like if this guy was on the opposite team to me, I would probably react the exact same way Pacino does in this film, or sorry, Hopper does in this film, because he he just drives you crazy because he feels like he's got this unentitled arrogance about him that just and that's something that bothers me as a trait. Um, <laughs> but he, that that's what basically led to Hopper's yeah, demise. Have, yeah, and simple as that. This one character that yeah. like. Yeah, he, he he just couldn't get over. He was he was he was yeah he was the main catalyst to that downfall, and I really enjoyed that they used his character as an integral part in 
so in jail there's a racial slur and I really like that they didn't just let that stand in jail and that they used mm. that as that centerpiece to to be the lead as to yeah. why he's downfall and like they follow up on that and, and they didn't let um they didn't let Jimmy get away with with what saying that and <laughs> through other characters like Fat Tony and and those characters like yeah okay yeah I, we don't agree with what he said but you can't treat him like that and I, yeah, I thought yeah. that was I thought that was an important yeah catalyst. it just begs the question though that how late is too late. <laughs> Did, so Fat Tony is that like Fat Tony from The Simpsons I like how could it not be some, <laughs> Surely some it kind of reference, reference yeah, like, it, has to, it can't just be a coincidence Tony everyone's Tony yeah, yeah. Tony is, Tony so many Tonys I had Peggy down as well same that was the last I, one I really needed to talk about Peggy because like we've probably already mentioned this but she was like this switched on character that um, she knew you like through her eyes you could see that she knew what her dad was yeah. doing throughout this film and, you know, she's very rude to Russ and we've sort of spoken about how she probably saw him as bad compared to Jimmy. Who well, she's probably also saw Russ as the man who made her dad, dad what he is yeah. as yeah. well. And there was such emphasis on this poor relationship throughout the film that it was nice that it was underlining, underlying throughout to sort of, I guess she was the representative of that family and how, how he'd stuffed up with the family. I agree. She she was those judging eyes, um, and I think as an audience member, and maybe it's me not being as smart as I could have been. It took me a while to really pick up on the fact that they had her every single time after he killed someone or done something wrong. They had her walking in on him, reading the newspaper or listening to the radio, or watching Standing the news, the way. understanding his reaction yeah. to yeah. listening to it, and yeah. going, "This this is what he did," and yeah. then obviously yeah. culminated when the news came through of Hoffa's. Yeah. Um, disappearance and then she calls him out and at first yeah. time she calls him out because she cares about Hoffa yeah. and that's when she's like and that, that line of dialogue is like and that's the last time Peggy ever spoke to me yeah. brilliant just mm-hmm. the way they set that up so well throughout the whole film so this is a Scorsese film we've mentioned that already <laughs> I've got a question for you guys so IMDB often when you log on or you search someone that has like their top four most recognised things can you work out what you reckon IMDB says are uh, Scorsese's most four recognized films. Hang on. Irishman's not there, right? And Irishman is yeah, not good, there. Good to know. All right. So you want four? Yeah. And if you can give me the year, I'll give him bonus points. Goodfellas. Yes. It is. Goodfellas is one. Goodfellas. Raging Bull. No, Raging Bull is not one. Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver is 1976, correct? Wolf of Wall Street. Wolf of Wall Street, not there. So we've got two. We've got Taxi Driver, Goodfellas. Departed. Departed is not there, no. And that's his Oscar winner. Or one of his Oscar winners. Mm. The Aviator. I wouldn't have got these other two. No. <sighs> Don't say that. I wouldn't have got them. Is it one of the early ones? Yeah. So Hugo. No. Here you go. So one's from the seventies, Main Streets. Yeah. I've got oh, that down. Good movie. That's the second one, and then the third one was The Age of Innocence from the nineties. Mm, okay. So I was, I was just, I just I'm thought so, I'd bring I'm that up because that was, yeah. That. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you are surprised, like with those IMDb yeah, yeah. things, though. But it's all relative, right? Like, correct. Whatever. I was going to say Shutter Island. That was a good one. Uh, yeah. I, had issues I, with I like Shutter Island. <laughs> I really like it. I don't think that got. No, I think that, it wasn't that well received, but I really liked it. I, I, liked, it, I liked it more when I watched it and I wasn't so angry with the Ending? obvious twist. <laughs> I remember watching it in the cinema and being like, please have another twist. Like, please, you just spelled out the most obvious <laughs> twist. And then I wanted another one and didn't give it to me. I got over it. So we've, we've highlighted a lot of the performances. Are there any, any that didn't really work for you or other ones that worked for you? I've, I've got one. Yeah, go. Well, Peggy. I didn't really rate Anna Paquin in this. I struggled with 
her performance. You know what would have been better if it was someone that wasn't recognised? Yeah, Because yeah. when I saw Anna Paquin, I'm like, oh, True who's Anna Paquin playing in this film? Yeah. And then I'm like, like, oh, Peggy. I feel like for Anna Paquin, she should have had more lines. Yeah. She was. Yeah. Same with Jesse Plemons. Plemons as Chuck. Like, that was fine, though. Pretty big. Pretty big names. Yeah. I just didn't have a lot so of So I thought Ray Romano was great. Ray Romano mm, was awesome. Yeah. But yeah. Anna Paquin, I just struggled with I agree. with her as a as a they a miscast. That's she's the, she's the one she's a great actress who I thought yeah. this is Anna Paquin. I didn't think this is a character. Yeah. yeah. And it's such a pivotal role. Like Peggy's so important in the the, mm. the story. And when the kid that played that like Peggy when she was younger, mm-hmm. it was fine, was fine. Mm-hmm. And then when once it became the adult Peggy, I was a bit mm. I agree, yeah, that's I was, a really good pick up. Yeah. Exactly. More the the kind of writing the script, giving her room to breathe and like perform in the scenes because I think there wasn't really within what was kind of cut and edit and put in and I thought the character they made a point of saying a lot without saying anything. Yeah, yeah. And they were very poignant to say you know this is her two lines in the movie. Yeah. Um, did you want more from her? Like I could have switched her with the other sister who made that sort of heartfelt sob at the end and then put someone else in that role because she could have nailed that one scene. I needed Anna mm. Paquin to be less recognized. I think I needed yeah. that, sorry, that character to be less recognizable. So I wasn't... Because when I saw her, I was like, that's right, Anna Paquin's in this film. And I was honestly thinking, I wonder who she plays. Like mm. it didn't click that she was Peggy. And when I found out it was Peggy, I was mm. like, oh, that's jarring. Yeah. That, and that's all it was. It's not... It's not her fault or her no, performance. No, no, no. I think it's. I think you're right. It's miscast because she is so recognisable. Mm. I cool. agree with that. All right. Are we good to look at some scenes? Let's do mm-hmm. it. Yeah, man. Okay. Anyone want to volunteer to start or should I pick... You know what? You never start. Why don't you start, Jesse? You never start, Jesse. Okay. I'll, this I'll is start. our big film. I don't, I don't, want to, episode. I don't want to steal people's thunder, but there's going to be... I'm guessing we're going to... Just go for it, man. Just go for it. There's one that I say that you agree with. Chime in. Yeah, Let me know how you're feeling. Uh are you going to go chronologically? I am. Yeah, I go chronologically, yeah. It, it makes it a yeah. lot easier. There's a bit of, I'll say that straight up and then I'm talking about the opening and the closing scene. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. I just like the opening and the closing. <laughs> so the, the tracking shot at the start in this uh, nursing home or, or elderly oh, yeah. care place that just goes through the corridors, shows you what's going on in the environment that Frank's now living in and they close with that same sort of shot out of his room I thought that was awesome and I really enjoyed other examples of that through the film and the one that comes to my mind most vividly is the murder at the barbershop. So the camera just tracks into the barbershop, mm-hmm. shows you what's going on in the barbershop, comes back outside into this like shopping strip and then you see the two guys come up the stairs, go back towards the, the, the barbershop and, and it, the camera just stops on those flowers. And I was just like, this is amazing mm-hmm. camera Beautiful. work. It was just so good. Yeah, you're right. So good. I like that you your point that finishing so yeah, finishing the same way you started. started it's almost yeah. like you wandered in and now you're wandering, wandering out. out. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Yeah, I th- really like that. Uh I thought when Russ and Frank first met and they talk about um Bocce, like when he's fixing the car, he's like, Oh, you mm-hmm. know, you're Italian blah blah Bocce and then when you see them later on in prison together and they're playing a game of Bocce together <laughs> when they're older, I just there's just these connections throughout that are mm-hmm. really well thought out. Can I just say when Russ first helps Frank with the car and he keeps referring to him as kid that really threw me because I'm like, I know you've got this anti-aging thing, but he still looks like he's 45. Yeah. Like, let's, let's not pretend. Yeah. Like, am I supposed to think he's 18? No, yeah, he's <laughs> still as old. Just the language of kid threw me a little bit. Uh, I thought when uh, Frank comes home and the daughter's boss sort of like pushed her at work yeah. and then he, he's straight away, it just shows you the irrationality of his character that um, he's out of control. He's just straight away, he's like, I need to defend whoever I'm... Whoever yeah. I respect, I'm defending them. And he just goes and he goes to that shop and just without thinking about the consequences the of what's going to happen. Yeah. The thing is, you can tell yeah. that's a turning point for Peggy as well because 
she was more than happy to be like, oh yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, this is this yeah. is it. And then like the rest of it, she barely says boo. So yeah. that was clearly like a oh, better not better not say anything to dad anymore. Dad, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like the scene where we spoke about this before, where Frank goes to the laundry place and for a little bit of cash on the side goes and cleans out this mm. this shop. And then Angelo, when he comes back, and he has to face the consequences to this Angelo boss guy about you know that was I had part ownership in that and. Oh yeah just highlighted to me how much Russ believed in him and stood, put his neck out mm. for him and stood up for him and I just really enjoyed that scene yeah it's literal this guy is the reason that you're still around <laughs> yeah. the taxi scene where they're just getting rid of all these taxis yeah. that, that was cool <laughs> that, was good. that was just a cool cool scene <laughs> that was really good I was thinking the whole time like that would have cost so much to get all these taxis made up looking yeah, at the time frame true. and I was like yeah. and he's destroying them all anyway. yeah that was so good <laughs> The, the scene where they're sitting in this ice cream shop and JFK's death's on the TV. Mm, yeah. Just the the way they dealt with that, even though that you know they may have been critical of the Kennedys throughout and who liked them and who didn't like them, just to show that respect and understand that you know that was such a big, important moment to a lot of Americans. And I thought they dealt with that really well. Very good point. It's interesting to think that if that happened nowadays, you'd be reading rumors on Twitter and you'd yeah. see this and that. And in that case, it was literally like, oh, we think the president's in trouble. Actually, the president's dead. Yeah, yeah. Bang. Bang, yeah. I thought that, that Hunt guy that he had to go see him, the big ears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, was quite, that was funny. And then the follow-up later on with the Watergate scandal, I thought yeah. that, was, that was funny. Was like, Are you looking at my ears? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I found him fixed. Um, and then Hoffer at the end, yeah. it's like, his ears aren't that, that big. big. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a scene where Frank organizes, like he's going to do the hit on Joe, the crazy Joe guy. And yep. he just sets all these guns out on the bed and talks you through that whole motion of planning it out where he's going to go, where he's going to get dropped off, he's going to go to the bathroom, blah, blah, blah. And then once he's gone through that, they literally it takes like two seconds. He mm. literally walks in, does exactly what he says, shoots security him, walks guard. out, gets in the car and it's done. Yeah. Wounds the security oh, guard. I love that. Especially the, the choosing the gun and explaining yeah. which guns, yeah. taking out which guns, which don't fit his explanation. I love that scene. The build-up was awesome too. Mm. And then just to have it so quickly, it was yeah. really cleverly just done. Bang, yeah. bang, I yeah. looked up the dialogue for that because I was so interested and just like to go through it. There's a big like block of of dialogue and mm. you know you go to the bathroom because you may need to go to the bathroom but you need to have a yeah. seat and yeah you got to do it in front of his daughter because that's half the point yeah. like yeah it was, it's just that was brilliant yeah it was such a good it scene. all seemed like duh like everything yeah. he says, like like obviously this is what you do obviously yeah. you use this yeah. gun obviously like it was brilliant that was so good i thought the scenes with jimmy being angry at tony <laughs> And like the scenes where he's like using physical humor to mind because he calls him a cocksucker the whole bloody movie and like <laughs> using his physical comedy. I just thought those scenes were funny. <laughs> uh, the 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 big um, sort of presentation where he gets this award um, oh, yeah. and he's on stage and you know Jimmy's giving him the award. The two parts of that were really good. The the dialogue between Jimmy and Russ when mm. they're having that discussion was mm-hmm. awesome, on key, absolutely perfect. And then the following, like, and you know, laughs in that as well. Even though it was like really important, like he's like, "Who comes to a meeting in shorts?" Like it, was, it had this humor. In it, was even that the it was... only time that they have a scene together, Russ and Jimmy? Possibly because that was just yeah. so good to see it's them bouncing a, yeah. off each other. And it, I think it was. It was. I, I can't think of any other scene where they were actually in the same. Just them two. And I, yeah, I agree. That was one of my favorite. I like they had they had the guts to just follow that straight away with another dialogue heavy scene between Frank and Jimmy, yeah. mm-hmm. just to follow up on that conversation. Like yeah. they're like, look, we don't care that it, it was just great to mm-hmm. see that back yeah, to back. You're right. Um, and the, I spoke about this before. The attention to detail throughout. Um, you know, when Russ sends Frank off to kill Jimmy, 
just this one little thing that stuck with me was he took his sunglasses off as he was getting out of the car because it's like we're going from somewhere that's warm you're going somewhere that's cold just that detail mm. to me was just like they they spent so much effort on this film um, and that scene we mentioned this before too where Frank has to call Jimmy's wife and he just lies to her on the phone about mm. oh do you know where he is is he okay yeah and this and MJ said this before that acknowledgement of him saying this is when I lost Peggy yeah that was just an impactful scene that's when you just say this guy is, is actually a scumbag mm. yeah that's when you really figure it out Frank he's like no, no well I left that scene almost thinking like because it was like have you called the the wife yet yeah whether you know obviously he's he's quite emotional is he actually emotional I think he is or yeah. is, is he's, he's emotional so, and that's yeah. what pisses me off the most is that this guy meant a lot to him and he still he did it still like, did it yeah because I thought that was very powerful <laughs> yeah, the performance yeah. and him kind of being so emotional on the phone and sure. it was like one of the few kind of insights to him, you yeah. know, revealing some of his, his feelings. But then even so, I left it saying, well, is that an act? But, you know, yeah, no, is I, he playing on the phone? And mm. the, the scene when um, Russell and Frank are having breakfast and Russell just really casually is like, oh, we're not going to do that drive today. You're going to do this. And that, and that was the thing for me where I'm like this is awesome now Frank has to make a decision because the way he just didn't say anything mm. and you could see him mulling over like I am going to kill one of my best friends and, and that magnitude and it was all over his face and I loved it and then to the point where you talk about the sunglasses takes his sunglasses off from the minute he takes his sunglasses off and probably talking like a 15 minute sequence till he comes back maybe even longer puts his sunglasses back on no music mm. from that period where he that plays really sunglasses good. not mm. one lick of music and that was that. that's where Frank's at Like, and I was still kind of like maybe he won't do it and that was heavy it was great though yeah. it, was, it was just mm. everything about it was so great sorry I'm cutting no that's great and this, this is my last one anyway but the, throughout the film they used lots of television segments to explain what's going on in the world as what's happening mm. and I really appreciated that even though he's old in the nursing home he's sitting there watching like what was happening in Kosovo on the TV screen I was like even though that has no context whatsoever to the previous things in his life it still shows you that he's still keeping up to date with what's going on and they're still making that connection throughout the film um, mm. and I just I liked that nice one mm, good MJ I'll try and go I'll, I'll leave out the ones that, that you've already mentioned but um, God there's still a few I think I really like the scene where he killed Whispers with that walk-by shooting and then it went straight yeah. to um, his family reading the paper and then the dialogue of for me everything changed after Whispers yep. you, you yep. really realise the poignancy of that moment um, there was a really good Pacino spray when he's in that <laughs> office telling everyone that how, how shit they are now they're all going to get fired <laughs> Because firstly, I love a good Pacino speech after any given Sunday. Um, but then I love the humor, like how Frank walked out and he's just like, no, no, I didn't apply to you. Didn't I? No, yeah. I didn't see you there. Oh, standing right there. No, I didn't see you there. I didn't yeah. apply to you. I, just, I thought that was great. Um, the courtroom scene where the guy tries to shoot at Hoffa um, and, and Chucky belted him. It came at a time where the movie was slowing down for me a little bit and it went from zero to 10 real quick. You see this guy out of nowhere just come out with a gun. Um, and then that humor again with, uh, you know, always charge a guy with a gun. Always charge a guy with a gun. Run away with a knife. Yeah. Charge a guy with a gun. And he's like, there's my boy Chucky. And he's just like celebrating. And I just straight away, it's almost like Scorsese. Because that scene didn't actually have much impact on the rest of the film. If anything, it was just that Jimmy's a bit of a wanted man. But... Mm. It's like he's like, we need to put something in here. It's getting a bit dry. And, and I, I noticed that. So 
<laughs> that scene where he killed Joey really had my heart pumping. Like that set up the description of how to approach the moment, like you said. Mm. That, that was what I watched on the end. That was the last thing I watched before Friday night, before I stopped. So it was basically halfway through the film. Um, and it was just like, up. yeah, well, it's it was that, set up for the whole five minutes. Yeah. I, I didn't realize how much my heart was pumping until I was like, wow, that mm. was just electric. Mm. Um, the power play we spoke about in the moment with Jimmy and Tony in jail. Uh, sorry, not in jail, but after their jail, apologizing mm. for being late and you yeah. know, apologize for saying you people. Just they both just tried to have that power, and then Frank, that man in between, you know, why don't we say twelve and a half minutes? Yeah. Like that's, he's always just like saying the right thing, and he even called right Jimmy line. out, and he said, "I think you're being a bit unreasonable." Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. that's why I felt with the the kind of the Hoffa thing. Like I thought he was being unreasonable too. Yeah, he was saying, yeah. you know, just apologize. You made a, a racist remark. Yeah. All I need you to do is yeah. apologize, and yeah. then you get my backing, and then we're all good. I'll apologize. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, you apologize back. <laughs> But you know that scene, mm. Stephen Graham, who plays Tony Pro, um, was so intimidated yeah. because De Niro didn't have a line in the scene. So then he just threw to him and ad-libbed to him and said, what do you think, Frank? And then like, De Niro off the top of his head just like, eh, 12 and a half minutes. Yeah. It's like, it's and one of the, I think the best lines for the movie where I was happy where they're talking about what you wear to meetings. Yeah. And he's like, for a meeting, anywhere, Florida, Timbuktu, I dress in a suit. Yeah. For a meeting... And you're late. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mentioned before the scene in the kitchen where Russell tells Frank that they're going up to mm. not going in the morning. And then the final one that was just the uh, the fish story. And just <laughs> yeah. topped off... No, no I got Audie. Topped off by it. when mm. he's asking all the questions. And he goes, because I want to be able to explain this if somebody asks me. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was just great. Really so good. Yeah. Really well done. Peter, what do you got? Um, oh, what might have been said? Um, I really liked the whole um, the start with the steak delivery, seeing what he did and how he starts kind of to get involved with the mob and to undercut the other businesses. And you know when he puts the the thing on the truck and and does the dodgy, yeah, <laughs> does the dodgy, um, t- takes the the signs off the of the other meat as they're going around. Just the whole thing of him starting to get the undercutting. Um, yeah, the the choosing the gun and the bed and the whole kill. The, like you said, the, the restaurant where they're fighting about how late he is. And, oh, you'd, you'd wait 10 minutes. No, I, th- I think you wait 15 minutes, wait 10. That, that whole thing was, um, was great. Um, I, I loved any time that Frank killed someone, basically. Just the whole... The whole I guess it, it's... I feel like it wasn't like a lot of other movies with kind of hits where he just kind of walks past and just kind of throws the gun at the face yeah. and then keeps on walking. Just I thought they were all really good. I really like the scene of him killing Hoffa, just going into the house, going, "Oh no, get out!" It's a, you know, it's a setup or something, yeah. and he kills him. That was fantastic. Um, just and just in general, just I really just like the whole concept of painting houses as being the hitman. You know, the line, "I heard you paint houses." Just find that really cool. Just that whole code, or everything. And there was just one other line that um, that Frank Sheeran says is, uh, three can keep a secret if two of them are dead." Just really <laughs> yeah, cool. Good, yeah. Loved it. Yeah. Good. Really good. Nice. See you, um, I've only got a, a small <laughs> so I've crossed off most of the yeah. movies but very small when um, we first meet um, Bill Buffalino or Ray Romano's character and Ray Romano of, was great by yeah, the way yeah, I thought it was, was yeah. fantastic and just some of that dialogue when he was like you know going to be his lawyer or his defendant um, we ask him you know they're just going to want names from you or conferences that's all give them a couple of names you go home you keep your job what do you think about that and it kind of like played into these loyalties like yeah. no nah, I'm fine no, no, no. Um, he's like whether you did it or not makes no difference to me but 
you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to get it out of him. Yeah, did you do it? Yeah. You want to know if I did it? Well, <laughs> and the other, the other small one that I thought was actually one of the funniest moments for me um, was when they Tony Pro um, put the hit out on his competitor in the where they put him through the shredder. Mm-hmm. And there's a bit um, where they call him like something that he likes jazz, that he was like a jazz fan. And then he switched the radio to jazz. And that's just when the guy starts strangling <laughs> him. And then the driver just like switched it back to what he was listening to. I thought that was quite clever how it's they did that. It's great attention to detail. It's yeah. like these mm-hmm. little things that are just yeah out. nice way to go and I, though. at least you listen to the favorite music when you die yeah <laughs> and i think um just talking about the jazz i thought the soundtrack in this movie was just for me i like really really liked it i'm not sure if i've got um um kind of a, a number for the 50 60 jazz by playing fallout i don't know if you know that game where you're in the wasteland it's the only radio station available but um <laughs> they had uh, muddy waters fats domino jerry val they're all like you know big time like you know blues kind of jazz yeah people right. and, i have that full out um, on lp yeah <laughs> well you speak in my language man because it's, it's and i think i don't, I don't even know you can bring it over <laughs> yeah um like a record oh okay but um what's fallout Fallout's a, a, a PlayStation game. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> um, but I think the way they used the music and the timing and everything, the backdrop, it just it made the world come to life yeah, like yeah. a little bit more. And it's one of his big things, Scorsese. He always yeah. music, great soundtracks. He does music so well in pretty much always movies. He's got a good score, mm. says he. Oh. Oh. And then you could like say where, where, says where, he, like says he. Oh, anyway. man, we're, we must be learning wow. time. Okay, what didn't we like about it, MJ? What what wasn't just one one yeah. thing I didn't like, um, and I've actually seen a bit of traction of this on Twitter as well. That's copying a fair bit. Um, when when Frank beat up that grocer, he was literally moving like an eighty year old when he was supposed yeah. to be forty, and it was so obvious. And I was like, oh, this is terrible. They made a few <laughs> like a, a couple of things I read too. The the scenes where. Um, Jimmy's with his family watching TV with the Kennedys a lot. They had to do those scenes so many times because because mm. how old is he? Struggling yeah. to get up off the mm. seat in a way that didn't look like an old man. Yeah. So, but that one, that one was almost like you probably should have got that right. Like it's so obvious. Yeah, yeah. it was. It was bad. Hit <laughs> up. Oh, which would be the only same one. Just when he's on the when he when he's throwing the punches, it is so obvious the punches just don't connect. Yeah. Like yeah. it's not it. Yeah. I'm. It, it, it doesn't look any, anywhere close to connecting even the kicking as well but the, the punches was just like come on you can do it a lot better than that it's so obvious they are not connecting at all should have got James Caan yeah. from The Godfather to redo that yeah. scene <laughs> Simo I've got one or two and maybe I miss, missed a whole chunk here and I'd like to get your thoughts <laughs> but I want to talk about the fish scene mm. with the car so going into it um, I was like okay so why is his foster son there um, why is it wet? They were saying you need um, De Niro's character Frank. You know, you you sit in the front. You sit in the front because I thought, okay, something's wet. He knows that something's maybe changed or something's different. I thought the dialogue was very funny, but I thought it was funny because the guy was asking questions about what fish it is and stuff like that because he'd be smart enough to to think that maybe it's a stupid story. So I want to poke holes in it. And then when they finally picked up um, Hoffa. And then it's almost like they said things about the fish and he was on board. I was like, okay, so this is going somewhere. There's like a, a code or something about the fish, about it's wet. And then was then something I missed? Or I thought there was going to be a payoff there or something. And then To me, nothing. I think it was like the meaningless dialogue that ends up being the final conversation of Jimmy's life, maybe. Mm. Just... This is this is how you ended it. I had that in my questions too. I, I wanted to know what was the significance of the fish thing because him wanting to sit in the back seat, to me, 
I was thinking as I was watching it that he wants to get this over and done with as quick as possible. So he was planning in his head, sure. maybe I'll just drive by and shoot him instead of going through with the whole plan of bringing him back to the house because mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to get him in the car and give away that I'm going to kill him because he's such a good friend yeah. and I'm not going to be able to sit in the back and sit with him in the car and not give away what I'm going to do. And that would, But the, the fish thing still doesn't... I don't have an answer to it. I, 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 yeah, I saw the fish as comic relief and I, I, th- I saw it as like this, just this mundane piece of dialogue that... In, in what is Jimmy Hoffa, you know, the great Jimmy Hoffa's last moments of life, this is what he was talking yeah. about. Mm. I also don't understand the relevance of Chucky being there. I didn't I didn't yeah. understand that. I, I was know. I was really thrown when that happened. Yeah, and he got a time in jail for being there. Yeah. Because yeah. didn't they say like when he was narrating Frank he's saying, you know, I felt the most bad about Chucky. Yeah. Yeah. But I mm. still didn't hundred percent get did he know what was happening? Like I don't think he did. No, it's almost know. like he was a pawn. To make to, get G- in the car. to make Jimmy feel more comfortable yeah. to come in the car, yeah. um, and I'm assuming the fact it's based on a true story that that's, that's what happened. Yeah, the way that he was in there. In the narration, didn't they say they couldn't actually get him on being in that car, but they got him for some other crap yeah. charges? Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're right. So you got seven months or something. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. What else? Did you want to save the end for later? Because I know I. There's just the end. There's moments in terms of leaving the door open, uh, the whole process. You put in that in your bad scenes. Not in the bad no. scenes. I just got We're more bad scenes. <laughs> things or questions to ask, and I. There was a couple of moments where I didn't. I felt like either let down or lost or anticlimactic, and I wanted to kind of talk about the end. I'm happy to do it now. Do it. Well, yeah, we're basically it. Yeah, yeah. Go there, for was, it. there was stuff about you know I'm going to church. Yep. And then we didn't see him again. He died. Ross. We had the narration. Yeah, Ross, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, my daughter won't see me. You know, there was kind of the end. There was this epic... We've had three and a half hours and then you've had the story with um, the priest and can you just leave the door open and then we've got credits. And I felt just this mammoth kind of story. I felt really like powerful and emotional for where he's come, but I didn't. I didn't kind of feel... I was like, okay, so... Does he have regret? Does he have sorrow? Is he kind of happy? And then I just thought something was going to happen. And then can you just leave the door open? And then we had credits. And then we're talking about like this epic. Like when I was, I just felt a little bit empty. So to me, I don't think there's a right or wrong with this at all. I think there's so many ways to look at this, and however you want to look yeah. at it is the way you look. I at it. I think you can interpret this so many ways. For me, the way I interpreted it was. It was it was like an homage to Jimmy. Yeah, I got like that. an I'm sorry, I haven't forgotten you because when he first meets Jimmy in the hotel, Jimmy yeah. leaves mm-hmm. the door open when they go to bed. Yeah, and that's exactly how I saw it as, and um, you know, yeah, it was a sign of trust from Jimmy in the first place to leave the door open with Frank in his lot in his whatever you want to call it, his yeah. flat, and I saw it as like a this is my. I'm sorry, Jimmy. Or I... Yep. Yeah. That's how I saw it. Yeah, I agree with that. To yeah, me, and that felt I mean. like a really fitting yeah. ending. And you can also yeah. like look at it as like, you know, he's he's got that door open because he still wants to be a part of what's going on. Mm. He's still got that door open to... He wants his daughter's yeah, to, yeah, wants his daughter like, to come back through, basically. Just in case they yeah. before he dies. Yeah. Yeah. Like he wants yeah. to, if they walk past and don't come in, he wants to be able to yeah. get up and go to see that. His story's not yeah. finished. Yeah. 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 It wasn't a forgettable scene, but I thought it was important to kind of get your guys' kind of thoughts and yeah, yeah, views I and I had it in my questions. Yeah, of things to kind of tie together and what was representing because I kind of went to the end and was like, <sighs> like big breath out, um, and then immediately I'm like, okay, because Jesse forced you to watch it. In the night. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, what what do I think about this film? And there was just so many kind of emotions. But usually when I walk out, I'm like, oh my god, that was amazing. And with this, I was just like, okay, 
I didn't. I need to think about some of these things, and I just didn't have an immediate emotional reaction. Yeah, yeah. That's um, cool. But I like thinking about yeah. films when they. Well, it's probably our segue into what did we think about this film? What were some ideas that it was explain? Oh, exploring, not explaining, because there's a fair bit in this. What are your big themes, Jesse? <sighs> there's parts about this about the waste of life, um, and I felt like they did this in a really good way with. Whenever you you were introduced to a character, they froze the screen on when they died. Great, wasn't mm. it? And just and showed you how and, and why how they died. takes and, on the screen. And and that that like, was really good. It was just mm. like saying, "Hey, we've got all these characters that we're going to make, yeah. but they're dead. They yeah. die." Yeah. And yeah. and it wasn't like that. They like kept the dialogue going. It was like, "Let's mm. freeze frame this and mm. show you that they're dead. Mm. Life is fragile." And and they sort of follow this through with Frank at the end too, because you don't get a, a freeze frame on on Frank's death, yeah. but you see him go to the cemetery and pick out. He literally picks out his coffin. Yeah. Yeah. He makes he a to... big deal about, I don't want to be in the ground because that's too final. Yeah. He's like, I want to be in this crypt in this wall that's yeah. that's not as as yeah. final. So I, I thought that was a, a thing that went throughout the film. It kind of ties into the theme of power because obviously power is a huge theme in this film, but what is power? What does it do for you? And, and how long do you actually get it for? Because no one really has this everlasting mm. power or no, no. One, no one has this ability to last and they showed that through two like they showed that through the mob so the mob's got power and then they tried to show it through Jimmy through the union having power too they mm. also symbolised it through the watch and the ring constantly throughout his yeah. power like whenever he checked his watch or his ring that was when he felt in control because he's like this is what I'm at this is the power that I've got in this situation um, yeah I thought that was good uh, masculinity yeah it, there's mm. a big thing with this too The apart from Peggy the female characters in this were literally bystanders or taken smokers. Or chain smoking. Yeah. <laughs> that was literally the, the only times that they were in this film. So, um, yeah. It's yeah. an interesting point when you've got a cast of completely flawed characters mm-hmm. and such little female involvement in their yeah. lives. What are they missing? Yeah. yeah. This idea of brotherhood with it. Um, the What about sorrow? Like... They try to pump this out of Frank towards the end too. Mm. And the only comment that he makes in the film, and I know in life, this the guy who wrote the book said that he said, like, this story is because he's got the story. But in the film, the only comment that they make is Frank to the priest says something along the lines of that phone call. The priest's like, what do you mean about that phone mm. call? So there's this one moment where after three hours and 20 minutes, you actually get this one inkling of, ah, uh, I stuffed up. And then he's like, no, nah, that's it. I'm done. I'm closed off. So yeah. Yeah. The phone call to his wife. Yeah, just mm-hmm. yeah, he made that. Yeah. So I, I thought that was interesting too. Yeah, it's all about that regret of what he did to Jimmy. And in the same way too, he's like he's remorseless. He does like he is, he's a sociopath. He, he's uh, a he's 100% sociopath. A yeah. yeah. There's an idea of family and and what is family and yep. and what does it all matter when it's all said and done? Um I tend to believe that he sincerely got wrapped into this to earn money for his family. Yeah. When he realized that there was a little yeah. paycheck involved with what he could do, he was like, okay. Yeah, and he made that comment about, you know, more kids, I need yeah, more money. exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And at what point did that take over and, and push him away from his family and was it ever possible to juggle both? And in that sense, did did Jimmy do that successfully? With You know, Jimmy obviously had family, yeah. his mm-hmm. kids and got on well with them and sort of had that balance in his life that, that Frank didn't. Obviously, Jimmy wasn't a hitman either, so it's yeah. a bit different there, but... A lot of questions about, and as you said before, he did, like his family was the mob in the end. Yeah, he actively chose them, and I think a lot of that, Jesse, is to your point about his history in the war and what his brain's trained to do yeah, and how yeah. that works. So, really complicated. Last thing, do you guys have anything else about them? 
Oh no, and you know we spoke about before was just the loyalty and and, and, yeah. and and the who you're loyal to, the family or the mob, and what you're willing to do for that loyalty. Yeah. yeah. My other thing was just the kind of the politics. I thought was was interesting and it ties in with the power. But you know, obviously, the Kennedys were a, a big part of the story for you know an hour or so in the movie, and yeah. um, they kind of there's been criticism in the film, and inferring that the mobsters kind of, kind of took Kennedy put out. Kennedy into power inferring almost, just, yeah, and, like, and took him out. They yeah. said yeah. we killed a president. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I just thought um, a lot of the kind of history behind um, what happened during that era, and you know, the Bay of Pigs invasion of Cuba, and the kind of um, what happened in in New Havana when the mobsters kind of you know controlled. Um, a lot of Cuba when they were um, a democracy going into um, the overthrow by Fidel Castro into the socialist and they kind of reclaimed all yeah, these American hotels. history experts. You know? Yeah, well, I mean, it was because I, I was lucky enough to be there earlier this year and you kind of get the tour of all the hotels and these buildings that are in New Havana that were it's very rich, beautiful kind of space that when the, um, I guess, the mobsters in American kind of like had, you know, access and they were able to do whatever they want because they had like the Batista dictatorship and then Fidel Castro came in socially and they just kind of reclaimed all the, the, the buildings for the government um, and I thought a lot of that history obviously Frank drove that truck that had all of the weapons that was in given to the expat Cubans that the Americans yeah. dropped off for the invasion and I just thought a lot of that con the context and weaving that through into the story and that was such a big part of Kennedy's president kind of um span before he got assassinated and that the mobsters had such a a kind of investment in what was going on with mm. that and how it kind mm. of played into Frank's story um, I just thought it was good yeah. if you're interested in uh, a good film called 13 Days um, which looks at how Kennedy has like dealt with that situation of um, the the um, that whole Cuban Missile Crisis yeah. Yeah, good right. film very good film Kevin Costner yep very good film alright uh, what did we take away from this film Oh, I wanted to finish on. Yeah, I was going to say it is what it is. That's all I want to say. All right, what do we? It is what it is. It is what it is. What it is. What it is. All right, what do we take away from this film, MJ? Um, I think one of the best things about this film is is the chatter around it. Um, mm. like this film's been out for a week. I over the weekend, I had a text message group from guys I work with that was purely organic. Someone said, "Who's watched The Irishman?" And three people were like, "Yeah, watching it now. I've watched it." Um, chatter around the office when I went to work on Monday my grandma messaged me on Friday morning she'd already seen it and she gave me her feedback on it she's a big big movie buff and then even for us rushing to do this podcast like I love a big cinema experience or sorry a big movie experience and a big movie moment and and this is this is almost the best thing I'm taking out of this film is that with what people are going to call the demise of theatres or the fact that we're not going to be watching movies on the big screen as much as we were back in the day and they're only going to be reserved for your big Marvel hits or your big, really generic movies, we can still have these big movie moments and mm. I think that's really exciting. Yeah. That, that's that's my key takeaway. Peter? No, I agree. It was, it was great to be able to watch this at home, yeah. just in the comfort of home, just when I wanted to um, and have the option, you know... To go to the toilet. Exactly. <laughs> it's three and a half hours. And, and you guys know, I can't last that long. Like, a few toilet breaks, get up and grab a drink, grab I'm struggling food. right now on the pod. Yeah. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm it, it was, desperate. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was just really good just to be able to watch it just in that comfort on my own terms. Um, yeah, just watch this, yeah, this uh, awesome film. Just, yeah, in how I wanted to. Good. Simo? Yeah, I think we kind of spoke about the Irishman and the weight of how big it is and being on Netflix and it is like a new experience for us and for people everywhere to be able to to watch 
um, this movie and then kind of track it with like this Oscar buzz and mm. be able to share it with a lot of your, your friends and have the discussion. So um, that was kind of the biggest thing after the movie was was being a part of the discussion and mm. being able to watch such an epic. And I mean, there's the talk, is this the last you know time we get these people together and Scorsese yeah, sure. yeah. in this kind of medium? And it was just, that's kind of the main takeaways I took. Good, yeah. I'm similar to MJ, like my dad weeks prior he was literally like trying to work out how he was going to use Netflix to watch his film because he just wanted to see so it was like can you use your sisters how, how do I watch it um, but yeah the, the only like we've all said this, this would be this is great would be great on a big screen yep. yeah. the only off-putting thing for me was De Niro's eyes at certain times and I'm taking that away because that was the only thing that stood out to me like his eyes the colour of his eyes at certain times in this film were off-putting to me yeah okay um, and that's the only sort of thing that I can sort of say that made me feel a little bit um, mm-hmm. off-put yeah, okay. So with the takeaways then, obviously the movie's not linear. We're, we're jumping quite a few all over the place. Yep. Did you find that jarring in any way? Was there any points where, I think there was one scene, I'm like, is he 50? Is he 30? Oh, I was a little bit A little confused. bit of that, you're right. There yeah. was a little bit of that. I think at the start, especially when they did a few jumps, I was a bit confused when they jumped back and I'm like, ooh, which age are they now? At what point in the story am I? But I think it was only maybe one. I think it was aided by the fact that the story itself was so clear. Because mm. I think the story was more clear than sometimes the way they looked. Because it could have been obvious, right? Okay, yeah. this is 40-year-old, this is 60-year-old. And that could have been more obvious. But Because I did have issues sometimes trying to figure out how old they were supposed to be. But I think if you just follow the way the story's progressing, you know where you're yeah. at at any point in time. But yeah. it's, it's, I sort of did notice the that. Only, the only bit I got confused was when they did kill Crazy Joe, the hit. And I thought it was telling a time potentially where he was like on the hit, but it was actually when they were driving up to the wedding. Yeah, because he was older. Well, I think they, to me, they did a good job in differentiating between the two where whenever they flashed back to going to the wedding, you could see the four of them in the car. So that was your baseline was that you saw the four in the car yeah. and whether they stopped to mm. smoke, whether they stopped to pick up money, that was your, your baseline was that you could work out when the four are in the car, that's the now, way to the, the wedding that's yeah. on the way to the wedding whereas yeah. everything else was running from the start towards that mm. and almost leaving Peggy at the house before hits and stuff yeah. like that yeah. mm. the other exciting thing to take away about this is the fact that it does have genuine Oscar buzz um, and it does and I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain about what the answer is to this and I know you and I Jesse are quite big fans of the Oscars and generally we like to watch them and, and keep track of them there's a very real chance that Joe Pesci and Al Pacino are both nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Yeah. And if we want to ignore every other person who's in that category just for the sake of this, who wins? Pesci. Pesci. I go Pesci. I, I don't have an answer. <laughs> if you had asked me two hours into the film, I would have said so Pesci. Pesci. Yeah. But Pacino mm. just yeah. got better Solid. and better and better. It's so it's hard, and I can't wait to see how it ends up because I I reckon they'll both get nominated. I really do. Alright, IMDb. And they'll probably be against um, oh, Brad Pitt too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they will be. IMDb mm-hmm. time. Did anyone jump on at any stage to see or look something someone up on IMDb? And yes, just, I did. Yes, yes who? Um, the uh, character was Skinny Razor, played by Bobby Carnavale, who is... Carnavale. Who is in Fundamentals of Caring. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, in Fundamentals of Caring that we've done on this podcast as uh, the girl, uh, what's her name? Selena Gomez's father who follows them up the... Up the, up the... I recommended mm. a, oh, a, yeah. a co-worker to watch Fundamentals of Caring and she was giving me screenshots today of her watching it. So, good little time. Awesome. But he was in that and he's also the... He's in Ant-Man as, the, as Paul Rudd's wife's husband. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Cool. Hey, up. Mm. 
Yeah, I jumped on for Alan Dorfman, who I'm still not actually sure who was in the movie. I think he was a lawyer. He was at one point in one of the uh, in the scenes when in jail talking, but he's uh, Jake Hoffman. He plays Steve Madden in Wolf of Wall Street. Straight away, I saw Scorsese him and went, yeah, right Scorsese. Right. I'm, like, I'm sure I know you from Wolf of Wall Street. He's, he's Steve Madden in Wolf of Wall Street. Good. Simo? I, I didn't actually have to jump on IMDb for these two, but I was really happy when I saw him. And I thought the reason why you bring me on this podcast is to bring my contemporary hip-hop culture oh, knowledge. I think we're going to have the same one. Yeah. <laughs> so as soon as the Coffin Teller came on, I'm like, action Bronson. He's here. He's... Um, rapper is um, does his show called Fuck That's Delicious um, about um, food that they eat when he gets high and shit. So, what um, you want for that and your PS4 game yes, knowledge yeah. as well? That's why we. Bring so you if on. you if you if you want to check out the song Acting Crazy on Mr. Wonderful, but actually, who was he? He's a rapper. No, but who but was he was he a coffin seller, the, the big guy, the ginger oh, beard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I looked him up too because I was like, oh, is that DJ Cully? <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> but I was like, oh, he's a rapper anyway, so it's all good. Um, <laughs> Same thing. And what is it, Crazy Joe? He's um, Sebastian Maniscalco, so he's a very famous stand-up comedian. If you're on Netflix, he's got about four up there. Okay. I did also get on for the nurse at the end that was looking after Frank. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. What? Yeah. Um, no, I knew it. because Her name's Dasha Polanco, and she's from uh, Orange is the New, New Black. Black. Yeah, because yeah, I thought it while I was watching Bayonard. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like thinking Scrubs. I yeah, thinking, I, I couldn't. Yeah. I'm like, I know you're a nurse yeah. because she was a nurse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see this outfit yeah. before? <laughs> My mind's very literal. All right, questions. Any time for some questions that you want to ask us? We've asked each other quite a bit already, yeah. so I haven't got too much left. I'm sorry. I actually do have quite a good. Quite a hurry up because I need a piss. I know. Sorry. <laughs> what if? What if? <laughs> sorry. Why I really do Frank, as well. Yeah. <laughs> MJ, let's hold the other foot. Why did Frank have a testimonial dinner? For his union work, so yeah. for going around because he was put in charge of that. Three yeah, and he got whatever. all those people there just for that. Or yeah. was there like a okay? Because he was nice think, yeah. about doing what he did. They yeah. showed that one scene where he goes and the guy's like, "Oh, here's your money." He's like, "No, I don't need it." So obviously, everyone respect him for okay. being an actual. Guy. But I think the reason why they had the presentation and the reason why some of the people were there were different. Like yeah, that's the, what I mean. Yeah. Like, I wasn't sure if there was a second meaning to it because it just didn't. It didn't make sense that he would have something so big that. Um, why are they in jail at the end? Is that because Hoffa had dirt on everyone that got released when he died? Basically, they killed Hoffa and then mm. every single person involved went to jail. I think they really deep dived to try to pin Hoffa's yeah, murder. Right. Mm. And like um, the reason why Hoffa was in jail originally and why Tony went to jail was that they pinned other stuff on them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they, they, they yeah. thought they knew who was... These yeah. bugs tried to get him on other crap. Yeah. Because I kind of like the idea, because remember when Hoffa was talking about they're going to hit you and he's like, oh, they can't hit me. I've got dirt on everyone. I was yeah. kind of hoping that was going to be involved in some way, but maybe not. Um, no one ever kills Frank. Is it because he's well-liked or is it because he's unimportant and even forgotten? Because Russ looked after him. Russ had his back. Yeah, I thought, I reckon it was the fear of Russ. Yeah? Yeah. The fear of retribution from I us. I feel like there's more than that. I feel like there's a there's a sign of him mm. not being that important. important. And and I think that showed at the end where all these people died yeah. and all these people had these massive deaths and everyone's like, Frank? Who's mm. Frank? Yeah. Like, I kind of like that notion. Cool. There, there you go. Sorry. I maybe I didn't have as many as I thought. That's right. <laughs> Peter? Um, I, the only thing I was probably in the last few days seeing a fair few kind of articles online just debating the length of the film and people saying you know is it too long is it too short just what do you guys think of the think length of short was it too, no not too short sorry <laughs> <laughs> not too short but yeah was it too long or, or was it just the right amount no, i don't think there's any scenes you take out that's mm. that's the biggest thing right mm. he literally didn't waste the scene yeah no. so, i 
I think he probably he dis- doesn't waste the scene, but I think when you talked about okay, the reason it's great that they went to Netflix is Martin Scorsese gets this opportunity to do whatever he wants. But in his previous, you know, movies that are obviously quite critically acclaimed, he's had to kind of potentially work within a parameter that's yeah. a little bit more digestible. Yeah, which is the idea of a movie, right? Yeah. Like yeah. The reason you the reason that people watch movies instead of TV is because people can tell this great story in less than two hours. So but do you think right. that just because we've gotten three and a half hours and everyone seems to be critically like it, like there's nothing we could have cut out? Like if he put if it was four hours, uh, people still be like, no, this is Scorsese. Yeah, we'll and if it was it. two hours, yeah. would you be like, ah, oh, great movie? Yeah, that was. I think you still, would, think you still yeah. would. Yeah. yeah. How do you know? I wouldn't be able to pinpoint any point in the yeah. movie. I'm like, take that out. Yeah, but yeah. just the, the weight of it was three and a half. You know, could they have made it shorter? Some bits did come across slightly anticlimactic for me in, in parts, and I'm don't, not going to point anyone's because there's already the argument that who are you? You know, if Scorsese does it this way, then why are you to say anything different? But at the same time, like I just. I think there's if something's three and a half hours, you can make a debate for a movie the way people want to digest it that it could potentially have been too long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's been a few three hour movies in the cinemas this year with Once Upon a Time Hollywood and It Chapter Two, so I mean it's yeah. kinda of like it's crazy. Yeah. Cool. Um is this a payoff for Netflix based on the, the chat around it or do they need an Oscar to solidify and say this was a payoff what we paid? But the Oscar would be monumental, um, just for being a streaming being and being Netflix is going to be in the Oscar conversation for the probably the foreseeable future as long as they keep splashing cash exactly Mm. right so but this would be the first one right and this would be the game changer and it's always like we need one Roma was Roma was basically favourite almost leading up to the Oscars so they still need to break that duck you know Um, it would be pretty monumental if they won it I think it's I I can't talk whether it's worth the investment but it feels like it's a pretty bloody good call cool Last thing I had was, have any of you watched the conversation with the three main cast and Scorsese on Netflix? Yeah, nah, but I saw you had. Yeah, I did. I did. It's twenty three minutes. It's worth watching. So it's you know what's nice so good about it, right? Yeah. Is we always talk, and we, if Netflix ever wants to listen to Flix Four, and we say, with your original content, you should put those Bunch bonus features, features yeah. that you get on DVDs mm. straight on the platform. So in this sense, that's kind of the sort of thing you'd get as a bonus on a DVD. Yeah. It was yeah, it was interesting. I enjoyed yeah, it, it cool. especially them talking about the cameras and. Yeah. And De Niro saying about four words throughout the whole thing. De Niro said nothing. <laughs> but, um, no, it was really good. And I, I, I want to see more of that content yeah. on, on Netflix originals. Good. Uh, are we ready to wrap this up? <clears throat> Shit, man. I think we sure. are. Anyway, all right. So on Flix Forum, we each give a rating out of five to our film and give it an overall um, Flix Forum average. Heater, start us off. Am I supposed to be calculating as well? Or do you guys do that? I can do You're it right for you now. if you want. Oh, Sweet. You do it. No, you do it. Yeah, no, it's, do it's, it's it. a Welcome cool back. Do, do it. Do. Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> I say, yeah, I, I love this film. It's right up my alley. I love mobster films, gangster films, especially one from Scorsese. Um, yeah, the, the three leads were fantastic. And yeah, it was just it was a, just, a, just a classic for me. Good. Four and a half. Four and a half. Very nice. Simo. Um, I like this movie. I want to say that very clearly. I really did like this movie. Why do you hate it? But, <laughs> but what was wrong, Simon? I like this. It's good. Yeah. Just that there was just the weight of it. Like I, I felt relief almost getting to it. There was, I more liked bits, and then the total the totality of it kind of really got me. And I thought that because we had this journey through of Frank and kind of saw him at the end and got to to kind of piece together how he's you know had this life in the mob and his family. Like I thought it was really good, but like 
I don't know, I just struggled with some of my feelings afterwards. And I'm not sure if it's just this weight of everyone's like, this is, you know, a Scorsese epic. You need to like it. Um, mm. I just, I felt a little bit kind of flat afterwards with the ending and where my thoughts were. And part of me wants to go back and watch it again. Don't, mate, don't be ashamed. You watched the movie. Yeah, and you give us, give yeah, us what no, you think, yeah. This is great. Um, I'm leaning, to, can, I, can I go in between three and a half and four? No, because no, give us a three. All right, well, I definitely have to go to a four, but it's a light four, and um, there's just just some things that I didn't take away from the scenes. Great, leaving. Don't feel like you have to apologize. I mean, and that's what I was trying to say. We don't have that big a fan base. They're going to fanboy you. Don't don't put this up a letterbox. They kill you. There was so much to like about this movie, but. I just I didn't leave it feeling like oh my god. Four stars is a huge yeah. score, man. Like, <laughs> it's a light four. Awesome. I, was, I think I gave the babysitter three and a half, so I thought there's no way I can put the Irishman in the same. So <laughs> babysitter was damn good. Uh, MJ, your turn. Man, this was this was a spectacle. It was appointment viewing, and I love that. Um, as I said, gangster movies aren't really my cup of tea, so it would have had to have been extraordinary to get top marks from me. Um, and I must say, despite the running time, it felt very rewatchable. And like anything, I think it's going to age really well with, with a lot of good chatter and potentially probably a, a swag of awards. Right now, it's four stars for me, but it was a truly impressive feature. Nice. My turn. So, I thought this was excellent. Really, really enjoyed this. The performances, as we've spoken about, amazing. Uh, I thought the flow was really, really good for such a long film. Just to be able to keep you enticed and wanting to watch more that you've got to give credit to that and i also really love the detail in this film i thought the detail was excellent and i'm giving it five out of five hey yeah i'm giving it a five so Hita, what does that give us as an average out of five that's uh 4.38 out of five yeah can i just say that's this that's our first ever five, five that is our first on, ever on five five forum. Yeah. and then i were doing this one out of order so we've done 53 or something 50. nah we've done yeah no okay, yeah, 53, 53 yeah. 54 53 that's our first fiver. Yeah, and I'm happy to give this five and stand by that. I think yeah, yeah I explained why I like yeah. it too. Absolutely. Good. Best, All right. Well, oh, yeah, best movie of the year. This I've got a couple of five stars this year. I know year. you do. Yeah, I, I do. I haven't put my, together my okay. List. We're gonna. I'll, I'll hold. I'll hold I still need to watch Midsummer. Once I watch that, I'll Shit, get yeah. back to you. So we are on social media. We're Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're at Flix Forum. Put posts up there. We're going to put a question with this post. And We've got a catalogue of 50-odd yeah, films, films as yeah. well. If, uh, if you've seen any Netflix originals, um, we, we do chat through them all. Yeah, so uh, please subscribe if you can. Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. That'd be great. Question with our post. Just going to be, what are your thoughts on the film? Just build some discussion on this I film. Like it. Nothing specific. I like it. We have enjoyed having you guys along. Thanks for joining in on our discussion. Thanks for having me. It's been, it's been, it's been good to be back. It's been a long episode. Thanks for our first 90 plus minute episode. Oh, yeah. If you aren't aware, at the moment it is December and we are doing Podmas. So we are putting out an episode every single day. So if you're listening to this later, go back, have a listen. But we are chucking out episodes every single day in December in the lead up to Christmas. Subscribe, download, help us out. It's been a pleasure, boys. It's Thank been you very awesome. Much. Yeah, thanks for joining us, guys. Yeah, no worries, you're always mate. welcome. Whenever you want. 